to begin a sermon than to hear the words of the topic that you're going to be preaching on, and that is of grace. I want to start with the lyrics of an old hymn. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that can pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's glorious grace. Grace that is greater than all of my sin. There's nothing better that we can think of as we gather together to open God's word than to come to an understanding that God's grace is greater than all of our sins. Amen. Now, I, wanna, I want to clarify something because I know some of you are probably sitting there thinking, wow, Pastor Al got younger and better looking in a week. But that is not the case. My name is Nathan Harris, and I am on staff here at Old North Church. I am the Associate Director of Music and Creative Arts. And if you have been around this year or within the last couple of months, you probably remember a little bit of a church celebration we had back in March. Uh, back in March, I was licensed for pastoral ministry. Now, what that means is our pastors and elders came together, they affirmed my call into ministry, and then as a church, you all collectively encouraged me in that path. So today, I'm, I'm happy to say that I'm actually going to be here preaching and opening the Bible with you. Now, there's been a lot of questions that have come about since gaining my license. Uh, and people are wondering, what exactly does it mean to have a license for pastoral ministry? Now, I'm on a track for ordination once I finish my master's degree, um, but I'm not a pastor on our staff, though I am licensed. I am uh, not known as a pastor, but I have all of the abilities and privileges, which is kind of fun. You see, a lot of the main things I can do is I can now preside over and officiate a wedding and a funeral. So based on your needs, I can either marry you or bury you. It doesn't matter. We can go through that. And if you are struggling laughing at that joke, the next hour and 15 minutes of my message is going to be incredibly boring for you. Shortly after gaining my license, I sat in Pastor Al's office and talked to him. And if you haven't had a chance to get to know Pastor Al, he's a very jovial and funny guy, and he's a prankster. So if he's not behind the pulpit, I tend to uh, try not to believe a word he says because he's probably telling me something just to make me laugh. Uh, but one day I was sitting in his office, and we were talking about all the different things that have come about since gaining my license for pastoral ministry. And we started talking about, I can do this and this and this. And I said to him, well, you know, one of the first qualifications of a pastor elder in the New Testament is to teach. And he said, well, yeah, that's right. So I said, perfect. When are you going to put me on the schedule? When can I teach at Old North? And I completely caught Pastor Al off uh, by surprise. He had no idea what to say, and uh, it was pretty priceless to see his face. He just sat there, uh, 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 and a couple of awkward silent moments passed by and finally he gave me the word you know we'll just we'll think about it let, let me think about it which usually uh, if you know what that means it means no so I went back to work and was working for the next couple of days and Pastor Al called me into his office and uh, I walked in and he said you know what Nathan I've been I've been thinking about this I've been praying about it I I would love to put you on the schedule would you like to preach and I was incredibly thrilled. I was doing cartwheels inside because I can't do them outside. Um, and I was happy, but he said there's, there's one stipulation that uh, you have to preach either the second or the third week of August. 
So that's, that's fine. I have no problem preaching then. What, what's, the, what's the issue? And he said, well, I'm going on vacation for two weeks, and I want to be gone when you preach. So if you really screw up, I won't be there to hear the complaints. <laughs> I wish I was kidding. <laughs> but in all seriousness, in all seriousness, Pastor Al, the rest of our pastors and our elders here have been incredibly encouraging for myself as I'm beginning this process of pastoral ministry, as I'm walking through the, the narrow aisles of, of ordination, as we're going through all these different things. I just want to say we have a great pastoral staff and great eldership team that is leading this church. They're very, very encouraging. Now, I don't want to waste any more time before we get started. You see, I've picked a little bit of a, a longer passage to preach on today. And some of you probably are sitting back saying, why are you preaching a long passage for your very first sermon? That is a great idea, and I found myself asking myself that this week as I was preparing. Why did you pick a long passage to preach on, Nathan? But I promise you, if you can follow me verse by verse through the scripture, if you walk with me line by line, I promise you that we are going to see a great outcome. Today, we are going to labor through God's word together as a church. And I'm choosing the word labor purposefully. I want you to know the extreme description of what we're going to be doing in the text. We're going to be laboring with it. Imagine yourself a farmer on a field, laboring over a field. You're working day and night, blood, sweat, and tears to produce a crop. This is what we're going to be doing today in Scripture. We're going to be laboring over it very hard so that we can produce a wonderful crop. And that crop is going to be a deeper and better understanding of God's blessing in our life that is grace. Laboring is difficult, it takes time, but the result is always well worth it. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here today to study your word freely. Let us not take for granted the fact that we are able to study your word freely as so many of our brothers and sisters across this world can't. Father, we pray that in this hard time you encourage and strengthen those who are fighting persecution and even death over their faith in you. As we open our Bibles today, I pray that you illuminate our hearts and our minds with your word and let these truths sink deep into our souls. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, would you stand as we read from God's word together? You can flip into uh, your Bible, into Ephesians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be camping out for majority of the message today. If you have a pew Bible, go ahead and turn to page 976. Now listen to me. If you are new to this church and you do not have a Bible, please take one of our pew Bibles. Consider that a gift from us. We want you to have it. That's what they're here for. Also listen to me. If you are not new here and you do not have a Bible... Feel free to take our pew Bible. That is what they're here for. That is a complete gift we want you to have. We're going to be reading from Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3 to verse 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, 
to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. You may be seated, church. In that opening, we hear one word used three times. And not just being used three times, we hear this same word being used in three different ways. Did anybody catch on that word? Verse 3, blessed, blessed, blessing. We see that word being used three different times in three different ways. When I hear the word blessed or blessing, I can't help but think of how we use that word in our culture so freely today. And not necessarily in bad ways, but we just use it so often to the point that if I were to sneeze right now, what would you say? God bless you, or just bless you, because we're lazy, we made it short. But we don't exactly know why people started saying, God bless you. There's a lot of speculation, there's a couple stories, but we're not quite sure. We just say it. What do we do before we eat a meal? We bless it. We ask for a blessing over the food. We bless our food, even though that's spoken of very few times in the New Testament as praying for a meal, and it was usually Jesus praying for the meal. Even to the point when sometimes we let our emotions talk to us and we start using the word blessing. If anybody's ever been in the South and met a typical Southern woman, you hear that word. Blessing, 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 blessing. Everything is a blessing. We receive a new car, it can be a blessing in our life. We get a new job, it can be a blessing in our life. We get a random paycheck that we weren't expecting, or you find a $20 bill in your jeans that you haven't worn for a year. You feel incredibly blessed. Even sometimes after church, people will come up to myself or Pastor Chris or Pastor Al, and they'll say, just felt incredibly blessed by the message today, by the speaking of God's word, by the reading of God's word, and by the singing of God's word. Now, while these things aren't bad things, and I'm not telling you to stop doing them because I think they're all incredibly useful to tell people, bless you when they sneeze, to pray over our meals, and truthfully, we will feel blessed when certain things happen in our lives that we just can't explain. We're going to say, I feel blessed about this, but what we're going to labor in today, what we're going to study today, I believe is a clearer image and a much clearer definition of what it means to be blessed by God. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed, in, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
Again, we see the word three times, and we see it used in three different ways. The first way we see it used is an adjective. Blessed be the God. Paul, the author of the book of Ephesians, is giving us a description of who God is. Blessed is God. That is God's character. He is blessed. The second way we see the word blessed being used is in the form of a verb. God has blessed us in Christ. Paul is telling us not only is God blessed, but he has also blessed us, putting action to what God's character is. God is blessed, therefore he is blessing us. And the third way we see the word blessing being used is in the form of a noun. Paul describes God's character. He tells us, tells us of God's work in our lives, but he also tells us that God has given us something by using that noun. God has given us blessings. Paul goes into great lengths to use words to intricately describe what he's trying to tell us. But words aren't the only form of expression that Paul uses. The way in which Paul speaks in this passage is crucial to the understanding of how we're going to walk away with this today. You see, the Hebrew language has a saying for the way that Paul is speaking in this verse. And that word is, go ahead and put that up, Lynn. Brachach. No, I didn't sneeze. No one said, God bless you. Brachach. Everybody say that with me. This is a fun one. Brachach. It's, it's bra with a ha and a in between it. So just follow me. Brachach. Come on, everybody. It, pull it from your gut. Get a little bit in the throat. Just brachach. There was absolutely no point in me teaching you that word today other than the fact to hear you say it. And I am thrilled. That word means an outburst of praise. You see, Paul is excited and he is praising over this. Think of this as a sports metaphor. In a couple of weeks, preseason is going to be done. And what time is it? It's game time, baby. It's, it's time for real football. Preseason's done. Strap up the helmets. Let's start hitting, boys. And you know where I'm going to be at? Right on the edge of my couch on Mondays, Thursdays, Saturdays, and Sundays. You will find me sitting there watching the game because you know what? Regardless, I'm a Browns fan, and I'm a Browns fan to the end, and I'm going to watch the Browns play even if we don't score, but I'm going to sit in anticipation waiting for something to happen because when something happens, if and when we score a touchdown, I'm going to scream, and you're probably all going to hear me because it doesn't happen often. I'm going to scream. I'm in anticipation waiting for something good to happen, and when something good happens, I'm going to let you know there's going to be an outburst of praise. Any Steelers fans in the house, you do this all the time. We know that, how that happens. But a couple weeks ago, the whole country went nuts for soccer, right? Even if you're not a soccer fan, everybody was watching it, and they hated to watch it, but they're watching it because it was the only thing on. And any soccer fans in, this, in, in the church today, you understand how soccer works. Somebody scores a goal or does anything, the announcers and the fans... They never stopped yelling. 
You couldn't hear anything because people were just going nuts. They were so excited over something good happening. They were letting you know by praising that fact. They were shouting. They were screaming. They were excited over something that has happened. This is the same idea we're looking at with Paul. He is bursting with praise over the work that God has done. In a sense, he is speaking in a celebratory manner over the work God has done, first by being himself, his character as blessed, by blessing us in Christ, and then blessing us with every spiritual blessing. We know that there is excitement in what God is doing by blessing us. But what is he blessing us with? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God is blessing us with that. Every spiritual blessing. And what is every spiritual blessing? What does that mean? The spiritual blessing that God gives us is his grace. As we continue on, we're going to look at three distinct ways that God has blessed us with his grace. Look to Ephesians 1, starting in verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. What we see here in these verses is God's grace that calls. God's grace that calls. Now for centuries, these verses have been debated over by some of the most intelligent theologians where some people look at God's choosing or God's calling as his sovereignty or God's total ability to choose whomever he wants. While the other side, they look at God's choosing as man's responsibility to respond to that call. This is not the time or the place to jump into a crazy theological debate or to start a heated topic, but regardless of all the fuss of seeing both sides of that, we can step back and look at the much larger picture and see that through God's grace, he has called us. We see through God's grace that he has chosen us. God chose. Why would God call us? Is scripture clear on this subject that God has called us? How many people have flown recently? Quite a few people. No one in the first service raised their hand. So this illustration went right out the window. Last week, I, I boarded an airplane, flew to Florida, didn't want to come home. It was glorious. But I got on the airplane. I have flown so many times that I wasn't even worried about it. Nothing has ever crossed my mind. I've, I've flown so many different places that it doesn't phase me anymore. Getting on a plane is fine. Get on the plane sit in my seat, put my seatbelt on, and there I sit, waiting for the plane to go. 
What I want to say is, I don't understand how this is the year 2014. We have cell phones that can call across the world. We have computers that can fit in the palm of my hand. And we have sent a man to the moon. But in the year 2014, we still have not figured out how to make an airplane intercom work. Why do the intercoms not work on airplanes? You sit there, you buckle your seat, and the next thing you hear is, hi, this is your captain speaking. Enjoy your flight. You miss so much of the message. Every time the pilot speaks, you're only getting part of the message from him. You can maybe make out a couple words like, there's going to be turbulence, fasten your seatbelts. But for the most part, the entire message is lost. It's not clear. Thankfully, this is not how this passage is speaking to us. It is clear as clear could be why God calls us. He calls us for three things. He calls us to make us holy. He calls us to make us blameless. And he calls us to adoption in Christ. He calls to make us holy blameless and adopted in Christ. To say that God called us for those purposes would say that without this call we would remain unholy, full of blame and orphans. But thankfully with that call we see the opposite. My least favorite memory as a child is elementary school. More specifically, I did not like gym class in elementary school. See, I hit a growth spurt at a very early age. I've been over six foot since I think the sixth grade. Everybody thought I had flunked about two or three years. And here I am in the fourth grade, a tall kid, uh, frame, let's see, husky. I, I, I don't know, is that, is that what it would be, husky? I know, I know this physique doesn't show that, but I was husky as a little kid. I was incredibly tall, and I did not have coordination after I had that first growth spurt. So during gym classes, I would stand against the wall, and watch kids in my class getting picked for team, picked for teams, picked for teams. As the numbers are dwindling, here I am still sitting against the wall because no one wanted to pick the tall, goofy, husky kid who couldn't run in a straight line. To the point that even sometimes students would say, well, we don't want Nathan on our team. And the teacher would go, Nathan, you go on this team. And I'd end up on a team that no one wanted me. I didn't even get chosen. Thankfully, God didn't call us or choose us because we deserved it, or because we were good enough already. He did so because he wanted to. He wanted to choose you. He wanted to choose me. It was for the pleasure of his will, according to the purpose of his will. Why did God call? According to the purpose of his will. God's choice was not dependent upon our ability to do good things but it was purely for God's purpose. God's choice was not to call on the best or the brightest or the most athletic fourth grade kid in the elementary school. It was not based on any of our own qualities. But this passage even tells us that God chose us before the foundation of the world in Christ. 
that the call of God was placed in the finished work of Christ before the world began. I'm going to say that again because I don't know if everybody heard me. That the call of God was placed in the finished work of Christ before the world even began. God called us knowing that we weren't perfect. But in doing so, he could make us holy, blameless, and adopt us in Christ. God's call is not based on condition, but it's on his will. How is this possible that a a loving God would call me and I did nothing to deserve it? How is it that a loving God would say, I'm choosing you because we're blessed by God's grace. We are blessed by God's grace. Let's take a look at the next blessing of God's grace that Ephesians talks about. Let's continue on in verse 7. Would you read with me? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. See, we just talked about God's grace that calls us, God's grace that that chose us. Now we're seeing God's grace that saves us. And there are two things that this verse is really telling us that we gain from God's grace that saves. And those two things are our present possessions, redemption, and forgiveness. The word redemption is, is unlike anything we can define today. You see, redemption is actually an Old Testament word that dealt with slavery. Redemption only dealt with on the very rare occasion that a slave could actually be bought and given their freedom, they were redeemed. When a slave was bought and given freedom, they experienced redemption. We have nothing today that compares to the severity of a slave being given their freedom other than a biblical definition of what God gives us in his grace. The closest thing that I can truthfully think of is LeBron James coming back to Cleveland. Hallelujah. Wake up, people. (laughs) The second possession that we have is, is forgiveness. I will never forget the day after I graduated high school. See, I'm, I'm sitting around the kitchen table with my parents, eating dinner, and we're just sitting there still talking about commencement, we're talking about my upcoming graduation party and all these different exciting things, and my parents are both always in a, in a good mood and they're just sitting there talking, and I, and I remember specifically my mom saying, Nathan, I'm so proud of you. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like a knife that just that cut incredibly deep in me for my mom to say, Nathan, I'm proud of you. Not because my mom said she was proud of me. She says that all the time. My mom is the uh, female Barnabas. She tells you that you're the best at everything, even if you are terrible at whatever you are doing. But it hit me because as I'm sitting there and my mom's telling me how proud she is, all I could think of was the things that I had done against my parents over the last four years of my high school career. And my parents are still sitting there smiling. They're carrying on. And I have this weight hitting me in the chest. And I'm thinking of all the deceit, 
all the times I snuck out of the house, all the times I backtalked, all the times that I had lied, and they had never caught me, hit me all at once. To the point where I finally said, I am, I'm overcome with emotions. I need to tell you everything that I have done over the last four years. And we sat at that table for hours. I'm, I'm not kidding you. After a couple hours, my mom was just doing this. And my dad was wide-eyed. And I just, I went off a mental list of all of the incredibly dumb and stupid things that I had done for four years. And when I finally finished, when I said the last thing that I could even think of, I asked my parents for forgiveness. It was one of the greatest feelings I have ever experienced. All at once, I felt a lift of that guilt, a lift of that shame of the things that I had done against my parents, and I felt happy. My parents were incredibly shocked by some of the things that I had done, other things not so much, but they did forgive me. I felt redeemed in my parents' eyes. I felt forgiveness in my parents' While my redemption and forgiveness was on a much smaller scale, the redemption and forgiveness we receive in Christ from God's grace is cosmic. It pales in comparison to the forgiveness we can ask of others. The redemption and forgiveness we receive is from our sin and rebellion against God. We need redemption. We need forgiveness because we all have sinned against God. We have all been disobedient against God. God is gracious to redeem and forgive by the grace he has lavished upon us. By grace that he has lavished upon us. The definition of lavish means something to bestow something in generous or extravagant quantities. It's like your little old grandma. You go visit your grandma, and she just keeps bringing out food. Grandma just keeps bringing out food, keeps bringing out food. If it was my grandma, you'd go over there, and she'd have pigs in a blanket. She'd just keep bringing them out, one pig after one pig after another pig, and you'd keep eating. And no matter what, Grandma, I'm stuffed. Leave me alone. No, 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 you need to keep eating. You need to keep eating. You're not husky enough, Nathan. Keep eating. Go ahead. Come on. Keep eating. Keep eating. Grandma keeps giving food. She is lavishing food upon you. Every time you think you're done eating, here's some more food. You think you're sneaking away from the table. Here's some more food. God's grace is lavished upon you. It is incredibly generous and extravagant in quantities. God's grace is lavished upon you. It is generous and extravagant in quantities. Somebody can say amen. I, it doesn't, that doesn't stop me. It doesn't bother me. God's grace is lavished upon you. It is generous and extravagant in quantities. It keeps coming. God's grace is lavished upon you. God saves through redemption and forgiveness. How is this possible? That, that a God would call me, that I didn't do anything to deserve this, this call, that God chose me? How is it that a, a God would save me that I didn't do anything to deserve it. We are blessed by grace. 
blessed by grace. Let's look at the final piece of this picture. God's blessing of grace not only calls us church, it doesn't only save us, but we see in Scripture that it seals us. Take a look at verses 13 and 14 with me. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Chris did a sermon completely on the Holy Spirit. He taught about the identity of the Holy Spirit. He talked about the characteristics of the Holy Spirit. And he talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the ministry is what we're specifically talking about here through this passage, what the Spirit is doing. Scripture says, when you heard the word of truth, you heard it. When you believed in him, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. You heard the word of truth and you believed in him. You were sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. I've had one experience canning peppers and tomatoes. Anyone a canning expert? Find me afterwards because I want to learn how to do it. My experience was so incredibly bad. I, I canned uh, a, a couple of peppers and, and thinking I was going to make some, you know, some, some sauce, and I canned it. I don't know what I did. I did something incredibly wrong. I came back to those cans not even a couple weeks later, and they were completely moldy. I, I, I did something wrong. I, I don't know what it was, whether I didn't boil something right or use salt. or I, I don't know. I didn't read the directions. I just figured I could he-man it somehow, but I, I didn't do it Right. You see, what the problem was, I didn't seal the cans properly. Air got in and it ruined it. This is what scripture is saying. When you seal a can properly, what happens to those peppers, the tomatoes, anything that you're canning? They're preserved. For how long? A week? Two weeks? Three weeks? Four weeks? They're sealed until you open that seal. For the intended use of that can, we're seeing here in Scripture that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. What are we sealed for? An inheritance. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee of our inheritance. We've all heard the horror stories of people trying to gain an earthly inheritance either going through great lengths to receive this inheritance by cheating and lying to the people around them, or they place such a high hope in what they want to receive that when they do, it's nothing like what they thought. They waste so much time waiting for something that will eventually fade. People waste so much time counting on something that does not last the inheritance we receive is not earthly. This is a heavenly inheritance. It is our salvation. The Spirit seals us as a guarantee for this inheritance. What is more encouraging of a scripture verse that we can read other than seeing that the Holy Spirit seals us as a guarantee for our inheritance? 
How is this possible that a, a God would call me and choose me and I did nothing to deserve it? How is it possible that a, a God would save me and I didn't do anything to deserve it? How is it that God would send the Holy Spirit to seal me as a guarantee for an inheritance in heaven and I did nothing to deserve it? Because we're blessed by God's grace. We are blessed by God's grace. As I begin to round out my sermon, I want to leave you with one more verse to think about. That this whole message has been about growing in an understanding of God's grace in your life and what it means to be truly blessed by God. We have seen God's blessing calling us to him. We have seen God's blessing saving us in him. And we have seen God's blessing sealing us by him. Let's look at the second chapter of Ephesians, starting in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. Church is telling us that we can't do anything to gain this gift of grace. But it is a gift and a free gift that we can reserve, receive. God's gift of grace is free. There isn't a single deed or work we can do, but only trust in God and we will see the blessing of grace unfold in our lives. This is why Paul was so excited and full of praise when he penned the words, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I don't feel like I got excited enough and channeled enough Paul to really communicate how excited he was. So I'm going to do that again and slightly louder. That He said, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul understood that God's grace was greater than his sin, which is why he was full of praise. Church, as we come to a deeper understanding of God's work of grace in our lives, we have no other response than to praise in that exact same way. An outburst of praise because of the understanding that God's grace is calling you that God's grace is saving you, and that God's grace is sealing you. As the band comes out, and we're, and we're going to get ready to, to sing in response to this, I want you to remember, God calls you. God is saving you. God's sealing you. As we're singing, if you, wanna, um, if you want prayer, you're welcome to come down front. We'll have some elders up here. I'll be up here. Um, if not, you can come down after the service. You can talk to us. We would love to pray with you. But church, before we stand and sing in response, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you teach us in the book of Ephesians, that this is all done by your work, Father. We know that the gift of grace is a complete work of who you are, that the Father calls us, that the Son saves us and the Holy Spirit seals us. 
So Lord, I pray that as we've labored in, these, in this text today, that if, as we have worked through this passage, that we can grow in a better understanding and see a fruit come out in our life of knowing that, God, you have blessed us with your grace, that your grace is unfathomable, and that you continue to lavish it on us, that you keep giving us grace, that you keep giving us grace, and you keep giving grace. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.